The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. How many of you hate your neighbors? No? How many of you like your neighbors? Do you live in a good neighborhood? Do you like your neighbors? Uh, Gabby used to make fun of me. My daughter Gabby used to make fun of me uh, because back in San Angelo, where we grow dirt. There's no grass in San Angelo. And, uh, and one year we had a lot of rain and our grass was really green. And so I tried to make my yard as immaculate as possible. And so, you know, I like edged it real good and I cut the grass real nice. And I was always out there working on it. And there was a neighbor like two houses down and we were kind of like in competition, you know, like they would, they would make their grass real nice and I would try to make mine nicer. And I got to where I was I didn't want to buy mulch. I wanted to buy wood chips because wood chips looked better, you know, and they were fuller. And anyways, now I have a neighbor who I live right down the street, and uh, that guy just puts me to shame. Like he's, he constantly power washes his driveway like every week, and uh, I can't keep up with that. You know, I got a new baby and stuff, and I'm in ministry. I just let it go. I'll tell Richard to mow over once in a while, and then I'll weed eat. But... <laughs> But uh, listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10. This is where we're going to be this morning. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So the question that was asked to him by somebody in the crowd was, how would you define a neighbor, right? Who is my neighbor? Now, we're going to get more into that scripture here in a second, but who is my neighbor, right? Who should I see as a neighbor, or who should I be a neighbor to? Uh, I, I want to admit something to you that I'm not very proud of, but it's a part of my testimony, is that when I was a younger man, probably like in my 20s, early 20s, I really struggled with sympathy uh, and with uh, mercy, right? I still struggle today with empathy. Sometimes I just can't empathize with people. But I think I've gained a little bit of sympathy and and mercy and grace. Not as much as I would like. But uh, when I was a younger man, I had none of it. And, uh, and, you know, I I got married at the age of 15. And we had kids really early. And so from like 15 years old, I've been working really hard. I had to get a job. You know, I had to work, 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 work. And uh, in my 20s, I was buying a house and everything. and, And I would see people on the side of the road begging or, you know, asking me for money and stuff, I really despised them. I looked at them with this utter disgust, and I'm I'm ashamed to say so, because I felt that if I could, right, pull myself up from the bootstraps and make something happen at 15, then they should be able to as well. And I remember one time uh, I was playing golf, and there's this underpass. Back in San Angelo, I played golf at this little nine-hole course, and, uh, and hole number one was under this bridge. You had to walk through under the bridge to get to hole number one. It was right in the middle of the city. And as I got there, I saw this guy. He was asleep on, on a bench. And uh, just, you know, a homeless guy, asleep on the bench. He had no shirt on. And, and I played my whole round of golf, and I passed him twice. And every time I passed him, I really felt like the Holy Spirit telling me, you know, hey, you should talk to this guy. And, uh, and you know how my attitude was towards people like that. And I was like, no thanks, Holy Spirit. Like, you know, that, that guy has what he needs 
just like I did. To, and I'm like, you know, arguing with God as I'm playing golf. Probably why I didn't shoot very well that day. But uh, no. But uh, so, <laughs> so I finished my round of golf. And I'm still kind of, you know, you know, once the Holy Spirit kind of grabs all to you and you know you should do something and then you don't do it. And it just kind of keeps poking you and poking you and poking you. And so I get in my truck, I load my clubs and everything, and I start to leave. And then just kind of like I felt like, okay, God, you know, I'll do something about it. So I flip the truck around, and, um, and, I, and I yell out to the guy like, hey, hey, bud, you know, hey, guy. And uh, he's just like knocked out, and he's drunk. And so he wakes up, and uh, he looks at me. He's like, what do you want? And uh, I said, are you hungry? He said, yeah, I'm hungry. What do you think? <laughs> so I was like, dumb question. Like, okay. Like, come on, I'm going to get you something to eat. And literally right next door was like a Sonic. So I got him in my truck, and he stunk so bad. And, uh, and so he got in my truck, shirtless and all. I drove over to the, to the Sonic, and, uh, and I was like, get whatever you want, you know, and I'll take you wherever you need to go. And, uh, and so I remember, you know, I tried witnessing to that guy, and he was still under the influence, and it was just kind of not very successful. But at the same time, you know, there was this moment where God broke my heart for how I viewed other people. There was this moment when I was young and uh, very naive and, and didn't understand many things where God had to grab a hold of me and break my heart for people who I viewed as less than, okay? And, and, and that's kind of where we're gonna be this morning. That's kind of where we're gonna be this morning. I read a headline the other day or a while back, where it said, it asked the question, do Christians in America have compassion for others? The headline said, do Christians, it asked the question, do Christians in America have compassion for others? Now, I want you to keep that question in the back of your head or write it down if you're taking notes, and we're going we're gonna to circle back and get to that, okay? Here in a little bit, we're going, to re, we're going to readdress that question if Christians in America have compassion for others. And uh, as we go through this study, I want us to learn a few things about that. So let's get right into it. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37 says, Then an expert of the law stood up to test him. This is Jesus saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. This is what Jesus said. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by the road when he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, uh, when he arrived at the same place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan on the journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to them, uh, gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think provided to, uh, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell uh, into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. 
Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So at this point in the Gospels of Luke, uh, Jesus had been teaching his disciples about outreach and evangelism. He had been teaching them, sending them out, right? We read right before this in Luke, Jesus sends out the 72 and they're going to tell people to proclaim the kingdom of God is near because Jesus, the Messiah, was here and he was going to be the one that they needed to follow. And so Jesus sends them out and he's teaching them object lessons on evangelism and outreach. And what a perfect moment that as they're gathered somewhere, this little crowd gathers, right, or big crowd. We're not real sure of how big the crowd was, but there were people there, and they had, and they had the understanding that Jesus was teaching, right? And so at some point during Jesus' teaching, someone from the crowd, he shouts out, right? It says an expert in the law stood up and said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this says expert in the law, but your version might say lawyer. Does anybody have that where it says lawyer? I like the term lawyer better because this guy was a lawyer in the sense not in like legal terms of guilty, not guilty for armed robbery, but in the legal sense of Jewish law. In other words, this expert in the law, this lawyer in the law would have been able to dissect the law in such a way and understand what God's law means. In other words, if you ever talk to a good lawyer or a good judge, they can tell you certain laws right off the top of their head, right? Why? Because they've studied that law, because they understand the law and how it works. That's why in a courtroom setting, when, whenever you hear objection, and then they bring up a law that contradicts what the other attorney is trying to do. They're experts in the law. That's who this guy was. He was an expert in the law. He would have known God's law very well. And he raises this question that Jesus is trying to test him, right? So Jesus, just like he always does, he responds with another question. The guy says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus basically says, you know the law. And you know what the law says, how do you interpret it, right? You're an expert at the law, so how should you interpret what the law says? And the lawyer answers him. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This lawyer gives him a two-part answer, which is correct, okay? It's a two-part answer. The first part is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 which says, listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The second part is from Leviticus 19.18. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, how did this Jewish lawyer know to combine those two things to make up the great commandment? Because that's what we call this, the great commandment to love God, and to love others. And they go hand in hand, is what Jesus will later say. How did this lawyer know that? Well, he's an expert in the law. He knew he had to combine Deuteronomy and Leviticus to make up the great commandment because that's what God requires, to love him and to love others. Just like Jesus would say uh, in Mark chapter 12, Verse 29 through 31, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Paul would say, all of the apostles and all of the prophets, 
and all of the law hinge on these two things, that you love God and that you love others. That's why our motto is love God, love others. Make disciples. That's what comes next after that, right? And so, and so this guy is right. He answers him right. And Jesus here, here's his answer and agrees with it that it's exactly right. That if you love the Lord your God with everything you have and you love people as much as you love yourself, then you should be good, right? If that's something you're actively doing, Jesus tells him, if you're following the law, not if you know the law, but if you're following the law, then what are you asking me for? He tells him, you, you've answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. Do this and you shall live. That's the important thing here. Almost as if Jesus is saying, you have all the information, do what you need to do and you're good. And if this is all you would need, then there's nothing left to discuss. If the knowledge of loving God and loving others is all that you have to do is have that understanding, that's not enough, right? You have to do it. It would be foolish to say that this expert of the law does not understand how to interpret what he's already studied about God. But the question is not a question about knowledge. It's a question of the heart. We know this because the very next question he asks. What did he ask? But wanting to justify himself, he asked, and who is my neighbor? You see, it's one thing to understand what God says, okay? It's one thing to know what God says. It's a completely other thing to actually do what God says, right? What does James say? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. In other words, just because you know what your Bible says does not mean that you're doing what your Bible says. It's very easy to say that we love God, is it not? Actually, I bet if you were to poll a thousand people on the street, most of them would say, yes, of course I love God, if they believed in God. It's very easy to say that. There are religious people everywhere who claim to love God, but do not do what God commands them to do, right? There's a lot of people out there like that. To God, obedience is the barometer by which we are measured. I should have put that on the screen. If you're writing things down, write this down. To God, obedience is the barometer by which we are measured. Let me explain. If we love God, if, if we love God, then our actions will prove it. We've, we've kind of read this verse over and over for this last part of the few months. 1 John 2, 3 through 4, and we'll read it again a couple times today. This is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. In other words, just because you know doesn't justify you. Neither is doing justify you, but doing gives the evidence that you have been justified by what you know. Does that make sense? Doing what God says to do shows the evidence that you have been justified by God to do what he has called you to do. Meaning we can say we love God all we want. We can say we love people all we want. But if our actions do not show it, then the evidence is we do not. That's just the way it goes. Right? I can tell you all day long that I care about something, but if my actions don't prove that, then the reality of the fact is I really don't care about that. 
Because if I cared about it, my actions would show how much I cared about it. This is the basis of the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Really, he's, what he's saying is, who should I have to love, right? Who gets the benefit of my compassion and mercy? That's his question. If I'm supposed to love God, if I'm supposed to love people as I love myself, then who gets the benefit of that love? Which one of the people in this crowd, which one of the people in this church, which one of the people in this town get the benefit of my love, of my time, of my mercy, of my grace, of my sympathy and empathy? Who is it? Who gets it? That's what he's asking. Who, who gets this, this love? Who gets this, this mercy? Remember, he's trying to justify himself. This means that he does not love his neighbor as he loves himself. Because he's trying to figure out which neighbor he should love so that way he can hate the other one, right? Did you know we do that, right? We do that. We say, God, who are the people that I don't need to like, right? Who are the people that I, and, and you know, Daniel stole my thunder last week. He did an excellent job of we see people in society we don't like and then we write them off because we don't like them. And that's exactly what this guy's saying. Who can I write off? So instead of, instead of giving them a straightforward answer, Jesus gives them this parable, which I think is great because Jesus tells a story of something that could have happened but probably didn't really happen. He's just giving them an analogy, right? Verse 30 says, so Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him. They beat him up, left him half dead. And he goes on and says, uh, this priest happened to be walking by. And the priest, instead of doing something about it, he goes on the other side of the road. And then a Levite comes, and he, and he sees him, and then he just goes on the other side of the road. And then the Samaritan guy comes, and, and, he, and he sees him and does what it takes. You see, Jesus is taking an actual place and history and time and making an analogy out of what could have happened. We know this because Jerusalem sits 3,000 feet above sea level, and Jericho sits 1,000 feet below sea level. And there was this treacherous road that you had to walk up and down if you were going from Jerusalem to, uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem. And there would be robbers, and there would be thieves, and they would, they would come, and they would steal what you have. And, and everybody in that time period understood and knew about the dangers of going down that road. We have the same thing today, right? I'm sure there are streets that we could name in certain towns that say, don't go down that street past 10 o'clock because then things can get crazy, right? And uh, we, we all know where those places are. And so if, if, uh, if I knew of somewhere local like that, I didn't want to kind of call out your neighborhood, <laughs> I would say it, and then you'd be like, yeah, don't go over there, you know, especially past dark. And we would know that that's a plausibility, that that could actually happen. In other words, this scenario was not far-fetched. It was very likely that these men would have known a time or a place where something like that would have happened. So in this story, this, uh, this man gets beat up, and, uh, and, and he gets robbed, and he gets left for dead. And he's setting up this victim. Jesus, in the story, he's really good at this. He's setting up this victim so that way, on the other end, you can have a hero in the story, Right? Have you ever watched a movie and kind of caught on to that really early of what they're trying to do? There's always a victim because then there needs to be a hero, and then there's always a villain that, you know, affects the victim, and the hero defeats the villain. Jesus is doing the same exact thing here. He's, he's setting up this victim, this guy. He doesn't tell us who this guy is. He doesn't tell us what nationality this guy is. He doesn't tell anything about him. 
All he says is this man, and I think he leaves it like that on purpose, this man who maybe a priest should help and a Levite should help is laying there beaten on the ground. And here, uh, and he continues and he says, a priest passes by. And right here in this part of the story, this Jewish lawyer should get some relief right about now. Right? Because as Jesus is telling him about this priest who's passing by this guy, maybe the lawyer's saying the priest is going to be the one who's going to be a neighbor to this guy because that's who priests are. Right? The priest was to be sanctified and purified before God and should be a role model for the people. Look at what Malachi 2.7 says. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should desire instruction from his mouth because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. Ezekiel chapter 44 verse 23. They are to teach my people the difference between the holy and the common and explain to them the difference between the clean and the unclean. The priest passing by would have known the Old Testament just like this lawyer would have. He would have known these verses. The priest would have known Psalm 37, 21. The wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious and giving. A priest would know this. But what does this priest do? He sees this man beaten and bloody, probably half dead, and he just walks on by. He's probably on the same side of the road as him and chooses to go on the other side of the road and ignore the situation that's before him. Now, there's this argument theologically about a priest wasn't supposed to touch a dead body or whatever. We're not going to get into all that. The fact of the matter is, is that the priest is not the good guy in the story. He's not the hero, and this Jewish lawyer knows that. He's a hypocritical religious person who sees this man and has no compassion whatsoever. And that's how exactly Jesus paints the picture. Then he continues. He says, in the same way, a Levite comes by. And a Levite, instead of helping this poor, helpless man, he just walks on the other side of the road. Well, by this point in the story, this lawyer is probably sweating bullets. Because everybody he knows that should probably have helped this guy is not doing so. Right? Jesus is setting up a hero, but the two people that this Jewish lawyer probably would have chosen himself to be the hero are not the hero. They pass him on by. The priest isn't the hero. The Levite passes him by. And Jesus uses the Levite because they, were, uh, they would have been someone who would have been born to serve in the temple. We know this, right? Levites were used by God. And they were servants or helpers. Most served in peripheral roles, playing music, opening and closing gates, and standing guard. But so notice how Jesus isn't choosing just anyone for this story. Okay? Jesus isn't just choosing some Jewish guy from the tribe of Benjamin, right? Or or wherever, okay? He, he specifically calls out a priest and a priest helper, the Levite. Why does he do that? Why does he specifically give this lawyer guy the two people who, if the lawyer would have chosen, that's who he would have chosen? Well, let's find out. By this time, we can assume that this lawyer has some problems with this story. Because he knows Proverbs 21, 13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. You think if this Jewish lawyer knows the law of God and knows the books of God, he knows this verse? And so Jesus is saying, Who, who's the neighbor here, right? And then the punches just keep on coming because he says, and then 
a Samaritan comes by. And we all know that Jewish people despised and hated Samaritans. They were the half-breeds. They had their own temple. They worshiped on their own over at Jacob's well, right? And they didn't even want to go to Samaria. You remember when Jesus goes to the woman at the well and his disciples are like, oh, gosh, I got to be in Samaria. Samaria. Like, give me a break. And then Jesus is like, go get some food. And they're like, ugh, we got to take a bath after we get out of here, right? They hated Samaritans. And so if you're the Jewish lawyer and there's one person in the story who you do not want to be the hero, who would it be? A Samaritan or a woman probably, according to Jews, not me. (laughs) Women are very helpful. I'm going to stop myself right there. Okay, So, so if you're this Jewish lawyer, you know that's the one person you don't want to be the hero. And as he's listening to this story, I'm sure he's hoping, praying that this Samaritan is not going to be the neighbor to this guy. Like, please say that the Samaritan finished him off and killed him or something. Don't, don't say he saved him. But Jesus goes on and says, not only does he, does he attend to him, but he puts him on his own animal. He takes him to this hotel. He pays for everything. And he goes above and beyond sacrificially what he should probably have done, Right? He says to the innkeeper, hey, when I come back, whatever it was that you spent on this guy, I'm going to repay you that. Sacrificially, he takes the time to be a neighbor to this guy. This guy is not supposed to be the hero. And Jesus goes to the extreme that they were probably not expecting, right? Not the Samaritan. But not only does Jesus challenge the religious framework and the establishment, but the very people that did not want to call their neighbors the hero of the story. And that's when Jesus asked the ultimate question. Out of these three, who do you think provided, approved to be the neighbor to the man who fell at the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Oh, sorry, I read that wrong. Yes, the one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Notice how Jesus doesn't ask if the man that had been robbed was to be looked at as the neighbor. Isn't that interesting? But the one who helped and showed mercy to the one in need. In other words, Jesus didn't say, this guy who was laying on the side of the road is your neighbor. He's saying, you're the neighbor. You're the neighbor who gets to help people. Love God, love others. He's saying, as you love your neighbor, you're the neighbor. And when we turn that around, means we're to love people the way we would love ourselves and the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have done unto you. You're the neighbor. He says, go and do the same. If this person in the story is a hero because he showed mercy to someone he did not know, someone he had no ties to, it was just a person in need, Go and do the same. It's a very interesting story that I think we can misunderstand if we're not careful, okay? So this morning, real quick, I want to point out two things that this story is not and then the one thing that this story is, okay? Two things that this story is not. The first thing, this is not a call to social justice, when we read the story of the Good Samaritan, when we read Jesus' uh, interaction with this lawyer, 
Jesus is not trying to convince us to be social justice warriors, okay? Social justice says, I'm going to take somebody who has not the same economic status or same opportunity as somebody else and we're going we're gonna to bring them up and throw as much money as we can at them so that they can have that opportunity. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying this is a, a call to social justice because that's not the gospel. The gospel is helping someone in need to lead them to the only one who can do anything about their spiritual condition. Right? In other words, our motivation should always be the gospel. I don't help people for the sake of helping people. I don't feed people just because they're hungry, but because I have the answer to their spiritual hunger and needs. And the food I bring them is a tool I use because they are hungry, and I should have compassion towards them. But if I just gave them a little bit of food and walked away, and then they died the next day, they still go to hell if I don't give them the gospel. And so our motive is not to be social justice warriors to make this world a better place. I have news for you. God's going to destroy this world, right? It's at the end of the book. Look it up. It's pretty interesting. And so when we, why do we not fall in love with this world? Why does Jesus say, don't fall in love with this world? Because he's going to destroy it. Because this world is not what it's about. And when we go off being social justice warriors to make the world a better place, I hate that term, by the way. Um, maybe hate's a strong word. I, I don't like that term, okay? And if you've said that or posted that, I'm not, you know, throwing rocks at you, I promise. It's just like, why? I, w- I want to feel the kingdom with people. I don't care about this world, okay? But while I'm on this world, there's a job to do. This is not social justice. When I choose to help someone on the side of the road or give food to the hungry person or whatever act of kindness I choose, I choose this based on the opportunity to show them the gospel, to show them the help that they really need. And and here's what Jesus is trying to tell this lawyer. Who cares if you do the law? Because the law is not going to save you. It's what he's trying to tell them here. Yes, you know the law, but the law can't save you. The law is just there to show you you're a sinner. The law is there to show you I can't do all of that. And so if we try to follow the law, then we're following our own righteousness. We're following our own way to heaven and to God when we can't get there on our own, right? And so, and so he's, he brings up this story to show this guy how wrong he is in thinking that he understands the law and doesn't understand the heart of God. Number two, this is not about giving more money to the needy, which is a little different than social justice, right? Again, we should be helping those in need, right? But this is not the context for that. Should we help those who are in need? Absolutely. Especially if we have the resources to do it, again, to lead people to the understanding of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We help them with a motive to bring them the gospel. You know, sometimes we feel justified in throwing money at things, right? We say, well, I'm not going to go like Jesus commanded, but I'll throw some money your way so you can, you know, go, right? Daniel talked about that in, our, uh, in, our, in the series that we just had, the Go series. 
right? The move 2021 and how he hates the term give or go. Like if you can't go, then give. No, 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 you can go, right? We provide opportunity for that at the laundromat and other things that we do that we have on the calendar to do. You have the ability to go. Yes, you have the ability to give too, but I think sometimes, and this is my personal opinion here, punch me in the face if you don't like it afterwards, I think sometimes we can provide the money so we don't have to go. And we justify ourselves. And do we ever do it sacrificially? Or do we ever say, I'm going to give this amount and not be able to spend some money on myself? Or do we say, I've got all these things, you know, I calculated, and after I buy all that stuff and do all I want, then with the leftover, I can bless somebody. That's not what this guy did. The guy in the story used his resources. He didn't even have enough money to leave the innkeeper. He gave him everything he had and said, I'm broke now, but if I come back, when I come back and you spent more than what I gave you, more than what I have in my pockets, I'll reimburse you. He emptied his bank account to help this guy out. Listen, uh, and we're, you know, we can't do that, right? We don't have the ability to do that. Only Jesus can motivate us to do things like that. And that's the moral of what he's trying to tell him here. What this story is, is a heart check for all of us who claim to love God and love people just as this lawyer claimed to do. If we love God, then we will dot, dot, dot. It's 1 John 2, 3 through 4 again. Let's read it again. This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. We can claim all we want that we love God and love people, but if our actions do not reflect them, then we're lying to ourselves. That's the truth of the matter. So it's not the question, who is my neighbor? It's easy to love those who love you back, is it not? That's not at all what Jesus told us to do. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who you love, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same and if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So it's not the question of who is my neighbor, but it's a question of who am I being a neighbor to? Who am I being a neighbor to? And that list should have no barriers. That list should have no barriers. Just like when I was young, and stupid, that I shouldn't look on the homeless as if they don't deserve to be on that list, that I shouldn't look on people with a different skin color as they don't deserve to be on that list, or I should look at people with different ideas than me to be on that list. But everybody should be on the list. I should be a neighbor to everybody. And no matter who they are, no matter what situation they find themselves in, what Jesus is saying is I should be willing to do that because they need the gospel. Because without the gospel, they're dying and going to hell. Right? 
And it don't matter what kind of differences we have. Do you really have that big of a difference with somebody that you're willing to allow them to die and go to hell? Because if you do, then I think some hearts need to be checked this morning. Because if we're not a neighbor to those who nobody else cares about, who everybody else despises, and we're okay with them going to hell, then that is not the heart of God. For God desires that all come to know and understand who his son Jesus is. Right? And we are the agents of that. We get to go out and to proclaim and to take the gospel to people who we should be a neighbor to and that, and that list should be endless. It doesn't matter how we see or view ourselves, but what do the people on the outside looking in see? Did you catch that? It doesn't matter if I think I'm great and that I love God. What matters is do people see me and say, that guy loves God. That guy loves Jesus. That guy does what the book says to do. That guy follows after who God is and what God says. That's the most important part. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. So I ask the question again. Do Christians in America have compassion for others? Do Christians in America have compassion for others? Do you have compassion for the person that you don't agree with? Do you have compassion for the people who maybe you despised before you walked in here this morning? Because we can have differences with, with all kinds of people, but we should have the compassion and the willingness to reach those people for Jesus Christ because he loves them and he wants them to be saved. Listen, if you were to have met me before I came to Jesus, you probably wouldn't have wanted me to be saved because I would steal from you. If I got the opportunity, I'm just being honest with you. And I wouldn't care who you were or I wouldn't care how it affected your life. I would have just done it because that's the kind of attitude I had. And yet we need to look at people like that and say, hey, on the other end, when, once God gets a hold of them, how glorious is that? Right? I'm not trying to lift myself up, but I'm saying God works miracles in everybody. And when we deny the people opportunity to be a neighbor to them, we deny them the gospel. When we, when we create barriers between us and them, we create a barrier to then reach them with the gospel. Think about that for a second. Do we want to build up walls so that people cannot be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ? How is that going to sit with God when we get in heaven that we say, hey, we built all these walls so that the people we didn't like wouldn't come in? Because to God, there are no barriers. There are no borders. There are no walls. There's nothing there. There's an openness to everybody. To everybody who will hear, have the opportunity to be saved. And we should be a neighbor to those who need a neighbor. Just like in the story of the homeless guy that I told you in the beginning, it's not enough for me to feel better about myself every once in a while. But to change our lifestyle, to view other people as a neighbor that we can be a neighbor to. What if your neighbor across the street's going to be, the, you're the only person they're going to hear the gospel from and you don't do it. 
your coworker, your friend, your family? What if, what if, what if it's your task? What if God tasked you to take the gospel to somebody across the street, across the world, across your social understanding of what you like or don't like, and then you don't do it? Then we'd be just like this guy, this lawyer. We'd say, who's my neighbor? Definitely not the guy that I disagree with politically. Definitely not the person I disagree with their lifestyle. Definitely not the person, and the list goes on. But Jesus says, you be the neighbor. And whoever you look upon that's on the side of the road, busted and almost dead, you have the power of the gospel, which leads to salvation and resurrection. And when we choose to withhold that, how horrible is that? If we choose to withhold that, then are we doing what God has called us to do? When we make that decision, we become God. And God's not God. It's interesting that this, this lawyer, he views the law as what justifies him, right? He views the law as what justifies him, meaning Jesus said, do that and you're good. But his heart wasn't right. Why? Because he can't fulfill the law. Only Jesus can do that. And he's saying... It's not about what you can or you can't do, but it's about what Jesus can do through you. We don't have the capability to love people like that. We don't. We're sinners. We're born of this world and, and you know, in a fallen world. And we don't have the capability of doing that on our own. But when we surrender to Jesus as our Lord... He enables us with the Holy Spirit to then be able to love others, to then be able to see other people who we see as different to see them as a neighbor and to be a neighbor to them and to share the gospel with whomever we come encounter with. And that's what he's saying here. You want to be a good Samaritan? Then go help people and share the gospel with them because that is salvation, okay? That is salvation. And we have it. We have it at the palm of our hands. We have it in here, and we have it in here. And it's our job then to go and to be a neighbor to others. Let's go ahead and stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. We're going to do just like we do every Sunday, and the band's going to come up, and we're going to sing a song, and we're going to open this altar up for a time of invitation. And maybe, maybe you're sitting out there this morning, and you're saying, man, I really have contempt in my heart for certain people. Maybe you're saying, I haven't been a neighbor to other people. Maybe you're saying, I haven't shared the gospel with the people I need to share the gospel with. And this morning is a chance and an opportunity you have to do something about that. Don't walk out of these doors the same way you came in. Because God wants to change you. He wants to change your heart so that way you can be equipped and enabled to do the things that he's called you to do. And so this morning, I'm going to open these altars, and there's going to be an opportunity to do that. There's going to be an opportunity for you to start over. There's going to be an opportunity for you to communicate with God and say, God, I'm sorry for not being a neighbor, even though I thought I was. Father, we come before you this morning. We want to thank you. We want to thank you for your grace and for your mercy, God. We want to thank you that even though we didn't deserve it, 
God, even though we didn't deserve it, even though we were still sinners, Father, you came in and you rescued us. God, because it didn't matter who we were before we came to know you, but it mattered who it was that you made us to be afterwards. And I pray this morning, Father, that you would give us the courage and you would give us the strength and you would give us the opportunity and the willingness to go and to be a neighbor to those out there in the world, God. That we would view other people on the other side of the street as someone who can get the gospel and be saved, Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you that we have found grace and mercy in the sight of your eyes, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.